Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me today is Tammy Stronach, uh, dancer, actress, uh, child of archaeologists. How are you doing today, Tammy? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Uh, first off, let me say thank you for uh, taking the time to come on and do this. It's really pretty awesome to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the main thing to talk about that anybody's going to recognize your name right off the top of their head if they're not dance fans is going to be the never ending story. Um, yes. Yeah. So how weird is it to have been in a movie 30 some odd years ago that is still so beloved by people today? It's remarkable. I have to say, I mean, um, I have some relatives staying with me this week and, um, you know, we were sort of trying to organize the weekend and what are you doing? And they're like, I can't believe people are still interested in this and still, still interviewing you. And, you know, I think it is a kind of um, amazing thing that this film and this story uh, ended up meaning so much to people. Um, but, I, but I also think that, you know, a lot of the people who were kids and, and watched The Neverending Story as kids are now adults, mm-hmm. and a lot of them have kids of their own. And so in some ways, I think the resurgence and interest in the film has to do with the fact that all of us, including myself, are sort of thinking back to the stories that were meaningful to us as kids as we introduce our kids to stories and things. So I think it goes in waves, but it's, it is kind of... Um, interesting that so many people are kind of um nostalgic for it and and still remembering it yeah and i think um because you and i are close to the same age and i think our generation was really the first one to hold on to their nostalgia like we did and so we've definitely passed that on to our kids yeah yeah i mean and i think that the stories that you hear when you're a kid or that somehow, you know, there's more space in your brain. It's a simpler time and you're processing less information. And so in a way, those are the stories that we, we, we let penetrate us the deepest or that somehow we have, um, you know, they kind of take up a a space in our brains um, from, from our childhood, from a time, you know, that is, those kinds of stories impacted us more. I feel like in a way, like now when I, when I see stories and I read things like they'll impact me, but I know for myself, like the stories that I was exposed to between say 10 and, and like 16, like somehow those kind of burned in deeper um, just because of who I was and, and, and how much kind of more receptive and open you are to things at that age. Oh yeah. Well, I've definitely, I've got a list of like 10 movies that they're my comfort movies and they're all that same age range from like seven to 16. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to ask, I mean, is is the never ending story one of your comfort movies or what do you watch when you you just want want some um noise in the background or something on the screen? Um well no, I, I wouldn't I, I mean I feel like my relationship to the never ending story is, is it'd be weird to like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like I I don't know, I feel strange like doing that. Um I really I really like the the story. I really do, and I feel like it had a huge impact on me in terms of like 
being interested in the fantasy genre mm-hmm. and being interested in, in sci-fi. So I think it really impacted me in terms of like the direction of things. But I, I really love, I love, I love all those eighties. I love, you know, the, I'm David, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. And I loved, I love the same kind of fantasy genre stuff that, that was around. Those are my comfort movies for sure. And now when I turn on the TV, um, I watched like I inhaled Stranger Things, which was super oh, yeah. 80s nostalgic and, and kind of um, a mix of like E.T. and like the Goonies and, you know, some sort of scary stuff. And the alien looks like the alien from, you know, Alien. He's so terrifying and kind of feel like they managed to like mash up all of the it's like a it's like a, a smorgasbord of 80s nostalgia. <laughs> Oh, everything absolutely was in there. Matter of fact, to the point that when their bicycles didn't fly, I felt a little bit bit ripped off. You were like expecting it, right? Exactly. I think that kind of really successfully um, kind of sucks our generation in. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're right. That thing was, that was the most 80s movie I've seen since the 80s. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of references all of the 80s movies at the same time, which is a kind of fun thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I watch I watch a lot of, like, just to calm my brain down, I, I watch a lot of, like, the current sci-fi shows. I like Humans. I like um, The Expanse. I watched all of Battlestar Galactica. Um, I think that uh, Westworld is, is, is really intense. Um, but, I'm, I mean, I think starting with um, Blade Runner, which was really, all of these things are a spinoff of Blade Runner, obviously, and that mm-hmm. was such a huge impactful film i think it sort of captures a lot of the same themes that we're still chewing on you know even so many years later yeah that philip k dick was a genius i don't know if you ever read the novel do androids dream of electric sheep but that's what blade runner was based off of yeah 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 just outstanding i read that book when i was like 12 and i think it changed my life yeah (laughs) makes you makes you look at every animal and go is that a robot or an animal Yeah. Yeah. So those are the those are the kinds of stories I still get attracted to. That's cool. And the Expanse is outstanding, by the way. If anybody hasn't yeah. watched it, go check it out. You're you're missing out by not watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So when I was reading up on you a little bit, I, I came across an interesting tidbit way way back in my past when I when I believed I wanted to uh, study things in school. Still, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Um, and I found out that your parents uh, were both archaeologists. I believe your father was from Scotland and your mother was from Israel, correct? That's right, yeah. And mm-hmm. they met in Iran? They met in Iran. Um, my father was head of the British Institute of Archaeology in Tehran, and my mother uh, was also really interested in archaeology. And so uh, I grew up on dig sites in Iran. Uh, we spent a lot of time piling up in my in the Land Rover the and you know heading out to dig sites and living in tents and um walking around dig sites that was sort of my uh childhood See it, it sounds kind of dirty but it also sounds like a lot of fun to me <laughs> Yeah I was I mean um 
it's funny. I think, you know, you have to be really patient as an archaeologist. I think that, you know, for me, I just couldn't understand why the adults were spending hours and hours and hours and days and weeks to, like, dig up a pottery shard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was part of what um, changed my viewpoint of archaeology. Because, like, I thought, you know, you, like, drop into a cave and find Excalibur. And then later I found out was you take a little tiny paintbrush and try to decide if that's a piece of rock it. or pottery. That's it. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the landscapes were really incredible and there were all kinds of sheep to trace. And I'm actually looking back on it now, I realize what a special experience it was and, um, and, and just, um, you know, kind of how magical there were all these caves to explore that like no one had ever, you know, stepped foot in and it's being uncovered as, as, as you're watching it, you know, sort of this really something kind of remarkable about, um, growing up on those big sites, oh, for sure. sure. Well, and to me, it's just kind of this amazing thing that in those old parts of the world, you can literally stand on a road that was there when King Darius, like, took a chariot through the area. You know, I mean, just, yeah. I mean, the kind of ancient that as Americans, we don't even really think of. Yeah, 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 for sure. And But also, you know, as a little kid, like, you your sense of time is not really developed yet. So I remember my parents sort of telling me, go look for Alexander the Great. And I'd be like running around the mountain, like yelling for <laughs> Alexander, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so they used to play tricks on us too. That's, that's kind of fun. So you guys were also there during the rev or probably not during the revolution itself, but you had to bail out of Iran because of the, uh, the revolution, correct? Yeah, no, we we did. We we were there. Um, and my parents were really loved living in in Tehran. It was a very cosmopolitan place, and the institute was um, very vibrant, and it hosted people from all over the world. And um, it was really um, difficult for them to leave, but it was a very very uh, chaotic time. And also, my mother's Israeli, um, and so it uh, was not very safe for us to stay and um we were um shepherded out israel sent four jumbo jet planes to collect israeli citizens uh during the revolution and so we sort of um fled to the airport it was this totally mobbed scene and everyone was trying to get on the planes and uh it was really crazy and then it turned out that um my mother knew one of the airline stewardesses that was uh kind of one of the volunteers to come collect people and we managed to find a seat on the plane and, and, and leave. Well, that was handy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) life is so full of, I mean, I think the older I get, the, the more and more I feel like life is stranger than fiction, you know? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And all the odd coincidences that keep happening, uh, you know, in life are, are sort of astounding. How, like, what are the chances, you know? Oh, absolutely. So then did you guys, you lived in Israel for a while after that point? So then we lived in Israel for a little while, um, but uh, it was rather challenging for my father because he doesn't speak Hebrew, mm-hmm. uh, and also his area of specialty uh, was the Persian dynasty and not um, the kind of archaeological digs that were available for him to do there. And so we went to England for a while, um, but... Um, Truth be told, my mother had a hard time adapting to that environment, and then finally we moved to the U.S. and it was um, it was lovely, you know, because uh, somehow the melting pot 
really allowed us to fit in. And we felt, you know, like all of these different pieces of our rather complicated and hodgepodge life sort of made sense in, in America. And it was, it was a really uh, lovely um, place to call home. Well, that's outstanding. So then at that point, let's see here, about how old were you when you moved to the States? We moved to the States when I was eight. Okay. And we stayed in Tucson first, and then we moved finally to the Bay Area the next year. Oh, really? What part of the Bay Area? My father uh, got a job at UC Berkeley where he oh. was uh, working in the Near Eastern Studies Department. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. Um, we lived in Santa Cruz for about 10 years, but we're from Modesto, so we're a 30-minute drive from Berkeley. Oh, and I love Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is, I used to go there all the time. Um, it's where my sister went to college. Oh, yeah. Um, so I would go hiking and um, do a lot of uh, just nature. The nature around there is unbelievable. Yep, and the deers are not impressed by people at all. They'll walk right past you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty wild spot. Um, so what point in your life did you, I mean, you're a dancer prim- primarily now. Uh, when did you first take an interest in dancing? I was interested in all the arts as a little kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in some ways the wonderful thing about being a kid is you really haven't learned the categories you're supposed to learn yet. You know, you nobody's really told you you need to specialize, right? So you're oh, just sure. kind of interested in whatever you're interested in. So I was doing theater and I was doing dance and I was singing um, and performing in a lot of different mediums. Um, and I really loved them all equally. Um, and uh, and so I was uh, really actively dancing and acting at the time when I auditioned for The NeverEnding Story. Um, I think after The NeverEnding Story came out, I um, did make a conscious decision to move away from celebrity. We We kind of talked about it and we decided that it probably wasn't the healthiest thing for a child without an appropriate um, support structure and like a manager that really knew what they were doing and people who are familiar with the business side of things in Hollywood that, you know, I think if you have that, you could probably be really, really have fun with it and have a really graceful transition into adulthood through it. But without that, there definitely are some pitfalls. So that kind of re-navigated me towards focusing more heavily on dance, which I did all through high school. Um, but I have to say, once I graduated from high school and I was working in the city in Manhattan, um, I kept on sneaking into plays. <laughs> and a lot of the, um, the dance companies that I worked with tended to be interdisciplinary and so uh, I would be thrown the parts that had text in, involved in them. And I worked with one company, the Netta Pulvermacher Dance Company, for many years. And we worked with um, – Deborah Harry has a new um, band called the Jazz Passengers. And so we did a project with them, and I got to sing with them, uh, which was pretty incredible. And so um, I was always sort of uh, dabbling in, in, in theater. And then I finally joined a theater company called The Flying Machine, um, and we produced uh, four original plays together that toured throughout um, the United States. So um, it's more that I just didn't do anything in film, um, but I was um, directing my own uh, modern dance company, which included a lot of theatrical elements and doing a lot of um, theater uh, for a variety of other companies as well. 
And see, that's why we don't rely just on Wikipedia when researching an uh, interview subject. <laughs> I missed <laughs> all of that in the reading I did on you. Um, I, I think I'm, am, am I, maybe I need to update my Wikipedia thing. I feel like, um, I don't even, yeah, I'll have to like go look at it. It's funny, you know, I, I never really have, so I probably should. It probably wouldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I didn't cat well, I didn't know anything about your acting background. Now, I have to ask, I know you've been in two movies, correct? Am I right there? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you, I mean, I'm, I have to assume the answer is going to be that you prefer stage to film, but do you have a preference between the two? You know, it's sort of funny. I think that on some level, um, life sort of takes you through different stages. And as a young person, I really wanted to dance because I also knew that dance was an athletic sport. Mm -hmm. It's an art and it has all of those layers and subtleties, but it also just requires a certain amount of physical stamina that you just don't have once you reach your 40s. So there was a part of me that kind of made a pact with myself that I would do as much dancing as I possibly could while I could and um, and that I would get back to acting at a time when my body really just couldn't sustain a career in dance anymore. Um, and that was something that I wasn't really sure I would or wouldn't do, but it was kind of like floating around in the back of my mind. And of course, I missed acting, so I kept on um, particularly working with The Flying Machine. That was a seven-year relationship where I was in that company, and it was really uh, an amazing, amazing, amazing troop of people to be working with. And what I loved at the time was the ensemble nature, both of, of dance and acting live, that really there's something very bonding about being in a theater company. You don't just fly in and do a project and fly out. It's um, it's a, a very, it's an ongoing relationship. It's a relationship that you develop, you know, many years. Most of the companies I worked with, it would be like a five to ten year relationship. So you can really go pretty um, deep and build a lot of trust and a lot of community with people. And I think that you telling a story together as a team. It's really, really about telling the story as opposed to your individual part. And I loved that kind of um, ensemble nature. Um, but I have to say, with the birth of my daughter, um, I started being really interested in family entertainment again. Mm-hmm. And I started being interested in making things that would reach a, a broader audience that would be both appealing for the parents and the kids. And so um, more and more theater has come back. And we made two original plays uh, in the last two years uh, through this new company I founded called Paper Canoe Company that's geared to making family entertainment. So I found myself acting a lot more. Um, and also we just released um, a new album called Beanstalk Jack, which is digital. Okay. And, um, and we started to think about um, digital content. Part of it is, you know, now with the family... <laughs> it's just practical. The idea of performing seven nights a week um, is much less appealing than it was without a family. <laughs> oh, sure. And, you know, and 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 I feel like uh, my own desire to reach a broader audience and reach a family audience is changing the medium that I want to work with too. So I'm starting to get really interested in what's special and unique and vital about digital content. 
Um, and I think, you know, all of that was always there before as well. It was just I was at a different phase in my life where the sort of thrill of a live audience and connecting with live people was super important to me. Um, but now um, I actually think that there's just a lot of richness to explore in digital content as well. And so we are looking at, um, you know, making things that um, like short movies and I'm looking at scripts again and the album was digital so, um, so I think that there's a little bit of a new chapter opening up in terms of the kind of content I want to be involved with. That's kind of awesome. And this day and age, the fact that you, I mean, the ability to create things and preserve them or record them is just leaves and bounds above where it, where it was even 10 years ago, where literally, if you've got the talent together, you can go, okay, we're going to make an album and I can literally have it edited and up for sale tomorrow. Yeah. So it's kind of an amazing time to be alive. It it took us a lot longer than that. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it is, and I and I and I also think that um, you know there's there's um, there's a way in which there are more platforms where you can reach people and share them, and um, and I think that that's that's a really special thing. That you know, obviously, there's always a lot of challenges with with how to disseminate work, but. There, there is a way to um, record your own stuff and not necessarily go through a recording company. Obviously, there's challenges to that, too. And the fact that the music industry has, has shifted so much hasn't really left musicians um, in such a great position in terms of people buying their content. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways around it. So, you know, there's definitely downsides that I don't want to um, belittle and, and that one needs to kind of examine how artists are going to sustain themselves within those sort of new economic models. But definitely the upside is that um, if you have energy and you're creative and you want to make something, you can make it. Yeah, that's the thing. And you're right. Uh, making a living from your art is a whole different proposition anymore. Um, <laughs> and that's it's sad to say, but people feel like they should have everything for free. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the sort of problem right now with how, how, how musicians, I mean, even, you know, live shows, people don't have a problem paying tickets for a live show. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, if this whole question of value and, and what we're, what we value is um, a really big question for our culture. And I feel like on a, on a huge mission, like my, my mission in life, my sense of purpose in life is to uh, value imagination and value creativity and um, really be an advocate for the importance of creative expression um, in, in making us feel um, connected to ourselves and and really defining your own value system outside of other value systems that sometimes get imposed on us and sorting through the rubble and like identifying for yourself where meaning is and and believing in that oh yeah um, it, it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna veer off into a weird topic here real quick Um Sure. We exist at a point in history where you no longer need a gigantic labor force making things. And it's going to get less so as we go. Pretty soon here, trucking is going to go robotic. And you're going to have a 3D printer in your house. When something breaks, you're just going to download the schematic, print it out, and fix it. Yeah. The I, We're headed to a, a, a weird place in that the the masses being required for labor aren't going to be required. We really only have about enough work out there for everybody to work about 15 hours a week right now. 
And we need to decide how we're going to relate to things like academia and the arts and how we are going to fund these things, especially when we have people in office who don't seem to think they're important. And the more I think about this, the more I come around to, well, maybe it's time that the government just cuts everybody a check at the beginning of the month and everybody who does other stuff just gets to keep that and pay taxes on the additional. It's a weird place in history. I don't know how we are going to deal with it, but it's one that I actually stay awake at nights thinking about sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think I think for me that the importance of valuing the imagination mm-hmm. is partly because um, the most constant thing about life is change, and so really the best thing we can do to um, to help our little ones, to help my daughter, to help the kids that are coming to our paper canoe shows, <laughs> the thing that we can, the gift that we can give them is. Uh, a faith that the ideas that they have are, um, they can translate them into action. And that if you can dream it and you're really diligent and you work hard, you can manifest it. And that, um, you know, the idea that somehow you're going to live in a static world, I think is really frightening. Um, but if you have faith in your ability to reinvent yourself, to reinvent um, what you're going to do, and that if there's a problem that you know, there are multiple solutions to it. I think that you're creating, um, you know, the, the ground to create like fertile solutions to come forward. And so in that sense, I think the arts are really, really, really um, mm, underestimated for what they offer us. And I think, you know, without a platform and a sense of confidence that your imagination is full of all the solutions you'll need to go forward, uh, one can feel really stuck. And I think the arts can be a kind of exercise in unsticking ourselves. And in that way, they're really quite profound and, and valuable. Oh, sure. And these days, they can actually show where musicians and artists and how their brains are activated and different connections are made like while being creative. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a provable thing that having an imagination is kind of required for your brain to fire at its full capacity. I see my father, you know, my parents are quite old Mm -hmm. and my father is, is retired, but he's still working. And every single day he gets up and he uh, kind of shuffles to a desk and he sits down and he writes. And I mean, uh, he, he's, he's, got Parkinson's and he's got uh, a lot of physical challenges and he was having trouble with his eyes. I think he was typing from memory. <laughs> and um, But the thing is, when he crafts a perfect sentence, it is like a sunbeam hits the living room. You know, it's just like the joy and the satisfaction of locking the the words in the right formula to kind of, you know, unleash the idea is so satisfying and I just I'm so moved by the fact that that there that not a single day goes by where he doesn't allow his creative expression license to be in operation and that the, the sort of deep satisfaction that comes from that um, that exercise you know so that's really uh, one of the things that inspires me to um, continue growing continue developing continue continue trying and continue delving into different mediums and, and continue creating. That's really awesome. Tammy, where can people find your, I mean, if they're interested in seeing what you're doing with Paper Canoe or anything else, uh, where can they find you on the interwebs and in real life to check you out? Sure. Well, 
you could just go to uh, com, and that takes you to um, a, a website that I, I just put up where it's a little bit easier for people. One tab will take you to the paper canoe um, branch of work that I'm doing. So for people who have kids and are interested in family entertainment, that's probably uh, the place to go. And we have our upcoming shows. We have a couple shows in New York in May and in June coming up. Um, and the CD that we're, um, that we're promoting right now is Beanstalk Jack. You can take a listen to it. And then um, there's also um, my dance company tab. So that takes you into um, the current performances that I'm working on. Um, and then we did uh, put up a, a, a screen for film because I did just do um, a little independent movie last month and um, I'm starting to look at some scripts again and um, getting interested in doing a little more acting on film and for TV. So um, I'll be filling in um, those kinds of projects on that tab. Well, that's awesome. And when we, uh, when we publish this on geekishcast.com, I'll make sure we have all your links and everything in there as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And if you want to just say hi to me, I've, um, I'm on Twitter these days, which is totally brand new for me. I, I, my parents are archaeologists, so for me to join the digital age and the social media age is, I think, harder than everybody else. I'm sort of overcoming a family that lived primarily in the 6th century B.C., so I have to traverse a lot more time <laughs> travel. <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really trying, and, um, and that's been a lot of fun. So people can uh, give me a shout-out at NeverEndingTammy on Twitter. NeverEndingTammy. Well, I'm going to go follow you right now. <laughs> um, great. Well, okay, cool. So that gives us your links and everything there. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on. It's really been awesome. I have to tell you, um, the day we were going to record a week ago, but we had to reschedule. Yes. And that day <laughs> I actually had an electrician coming over to move some lights. So when, when you reschedule, I call him. It's like, Hey, I'm free now. Go ahead and come over. And we were talking, he found out that I have a podcast. He said, oh, what's your show about? And I said, oh, I just, I talk to creative people, comic book artists, and blah, 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 blah. He goes, what were you doing today? And I said, oh, I was talking to Tammy Stronach, who was in, he was the, the woman from, or the girl from The Never Any Story. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I was so in love with her when I was a kid. <laughs> and what is funny is everybody I've talked to when I was, you know, uh, trying to figure out an angle to talk to you about you know, before I read about you or anything. And I'd bring you up, and was, that was like the result I got. Oh, she was such a beautiful girl in that movie, or whatever. So that's kind of awesome. You will always have an adoring public. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, it is really cool. It's super cool. And I, I really do feel incredibly lucky to have been a part of that film. And just the 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 whole thing, I mean, I think that the it was a really unique time in movie making. It was before CGI. It was this just, you know, like everything, it was just kind of a confluence of a lot of, of wonderful things. And, and the book itself, Michael Enda's story is just an incredible story. So, um, yeah, I, and, and I love that I have this connection with people. I think for a really long time, especially when I was in my dance career, I didn't really want to focus on it. And I wanted to come to New York and, kind of conquer the town as Tammy and I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> and then after the birth of my daughter and starting Paper Canoe, um, it just dawned on me that uh, it was really silly to run away from something that was essentially such a gift and an opportunity to connect with people. And so um, I see it very differently now and I, I feel very grateful to have a, 
uh, have this sort of shared link with so many people. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, even uh, Leonard Nimoy went through that with Spock. He wrote a book famously called I Am Not Spock. and then 20- Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and then 20 years later wrote a book called I Am Spock. <laughs> so I have that's to imagine funny. when yeah. you have such a singular identification with one thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, you kind of need to carve something else out. But then I think... You know, once you become a mom and a choreographer and a professor and all these other hats, you're like, oh, you know, that was that was a nice hat. I can I can wear that hat too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. anyway, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure to talk about creativity and 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 uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to interview me. Oh, absolutely, it's my pleasure entirely. All right, everybody, uh, Tammy, thank you very much for coming on. I do appreciate it again, everybody. That was Tammy Stronach. Dancer, actress, the childlike empress from The NeverEnding Story. Uh, in the meantime, everybody can catch us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegeekishcast. And I tweet from at thegeekishcast. Uh, please go ahead and find us on iTunes, rate and review us there, and I will see you all next time. GeekishCast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zeus. Check them out at reignofzeus.net.